0: Um, before we get started, I have a question. Who here feels like you personally, you just feel really confident in your sense of direction? You have a natural way of just, <laughs> okay, you you know how to just figure it out quickly more than maybe the people around you. Maybe very few of us, okay. I do not have that. Like, I do not have that. Not even a little bit. Um, Pastor Tim often will send uh when one of us forgets to close a door or something, talk about the east and the west doors. and I'm like, like, the front, you mean, like I just have no idea uh, what he's talking about when he says that. Or maybe when I'm driving through the city, uh, I'll, my dear wife will be beside me and I'll make a turn and she'll just kind of be like, "Huh?" Oh, okay, like you, you thought that was the best way to go, and uh, it doesn't maybe make sense to her so much, and maybe for good reason, usually she is right, and I am not when it comes to the direction piece. And so uh, anytime we've ever, uh, Bethany and I, been like traveling or away, I know that it's not natural for me, so I do my homework. I try to study hard and really like prep ahead of time where I need to go and how to get there and this kind of thing. Um, Well, one time we were traveling in, in another country in a place that was quite unfamiliar to us, and I didn't, have it all figured. And so we were kind of wandering around looking, I guess, pretty lost. And these two uh, pretty young guys came up to us and and were our greatest friends at first. They wanted to be our guides and show us the way to go. And we had no idea. So we're like, yeah, this is great. Um, And as they were leading us, like the way didn't make sense, but it, that's no surprise, it's unfamiliar territory to us. But these guys started to become, um, maybe a little not trustworthy in our eyes. Some of the things they were doing and saying, we were kind of like, I don't know if they really have our best interests at heart here. The more they were taking us through these little alleys and stuff. And so we cut and run and we got out of there because we're even more lost. And then because that's a very uneasy feeling, right? To be following someone who you don't know if you can trust. Uh, It is a great feeling, on the other hand, when you're following someone who does know the way that you can trust, who's leading you somewhere good with your best interest in mind. They're leading you somewhere good and safe. And so today we're talking about the challenge of following God um, when a lot of the time his ways don't really make sense to us from our human perspective. And that can be a big challenge. And the reason we need to talk about this is because if we're being honest, a lot of the times in our life, his ways don't seem to make sense. We wonder, why is this happening this way in the world or in my little life in particular? And even more so, when we open God's word and we read through the scriptures, we see most of the time he's been at work among his people, they've been scratching their heads wondering from their perspective, how is this making sense? God, what are you up to doesn't seem to always be the most logical or reasonable or what I would do uh, when it comes to God. And so we, at least at first glance, doesn't seem to make sense. And so today our big idea is this, that God can be trusted. He's worth trusting even when his ways don't make sense to us. And there's a few becauses. And our first because is because he knows more than I do. He knows more than I do. And you might be thinking, Well, yeah, like, of course. But I I would argue, I don't think we actually live like we believe that to be true a lot of the time. I invite you to turn with me in uh, your copy of God's Word. Hope you have it with you in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. You maybe know kind of right where we're headed. It's maybe a a more well-known passage in Isaiah, um, and it's a great one. And the reason maybe I struggle a lot with God's ways or plans is because I kind of am thinking to myself, subconsciously, hopefully, uh, this doesn't maybe feel like the right way, God. Or, God, have you thought about this angle of the situation? Or, if I was him, man, I would do things differently. I would do blank. Has he thought about blank? But scripture, and in particular, this one is a great one, talk a lot about the knowledge of God. How, like I said, simply he knows more than us, and we may not feel like we need that reminder, but I, I certainly do, and maybe I'm not the only one. Um, So we're going to read together, uh, starting in verse 8 and 9, and we'll kind of cover different sections of this main text today. So Isaiah 55, verse 8 says, God speaking, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." Love it when God just, he lays it out there, plain and simple, says, I know more than you. (laughs) My thoughts surpass yours. You might say, how much? Well, think about how much higher heaven is than the earth. That's how much. My ways are better than your ways. My plans are better than your plans. We tend to, or maybe this is just me, often think our ideas are our best, right? Or our plans are, are real good. Everyone should listen up to our plans. And God's saying, hey, your best stuff, your best ways, your best plans, so far below my own, it's hard to imagine. That's like, wow, right? He knows more. His ways are better because, this is key, his knowledge is perfect, he knows so many things of which I haven't the faintest idea. His knowledge is perfect. And that also means he sees ends in my life that I just cannot see. And we need to be reminded of that. I'm not smarter than him. There's no angle to my situation or to what's up in the world that he hasn't considered that he needs me to to weigh in on. He knows more. Uh, Another great text you'll see on the screen on this exact topic in Romans chapter 11, Paul writes this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? In other words, he's just kind of ranting like, wow, the knowledge of God. We can't even comprehend. Who could ever like critique his decisions? Certainly none of us because we can never have wisdom to offer him. He knows so much more. And I think maybe one of the feelings, uh, or often this feeling of distrust, or we struggle with how God's ways may not make sense, or confusion, even anger sometimes when things happen, we can't make sense of them, comes from uh, a lack of ability we have to discern between felt needs and real needs. Maybe you've heard that distinction before, uh, but felt needs are exactly how they sound. It's, it's what I perceive, what I feel that I actually need to fix my problem or fulfill myself. Real needs are the true thing. (laughs) What do I actually, truly need? And there is a difference. So for example, I may be really tired. You might say, well, you always look tired. Yeah, no, no surprise. I may feel exhausted. I may feel the solution here. My need, what I really need is four shots of espresso over ice with sweet cream. That would fix everything. I know that full well. My real need might be an earlier bedtime, but who's to say? <laughs> Someone might feel in their loneliness or lack of contentment like, I feel my need is I need a good friend, I need a boyfriend or girlfriend, I need a spouse. Everything would be better if that was, need was met. And the real need may be taking uh, fulfillment in Christ, taking identity in Him and not relying on a human being to meet my needs. There's a big difference between the two. And we can't see him very well. So in other words, often God's ways don't make sense because I don't know what I need. I think I do, but I don't know what I need best. He does. And often when we face this tension of not understanding how God, God works, we ask ourselves this. Well, if I had the power that God has, though, I would do blank. If I had all his power, I would do this. And I heard recently, maybe a better question to, to think on is if I knew everything, that God knows. If I had the wisdom God has, what would I do? There's a great quote you'll see on the screen that's from a guy named Tim Keller and he says this. He says that if we knew all that God knows, we would ask for exactly what he gives. Think about that. If we knew all that God knows, maybe we would ask exactly for what he's given us. As hard as that might be to think about depending on our life situation at the time. He has acted the way he has because of perfect knowledge, which is above my own. And so I shouldn't really be surprised when he works in ways that don't make sense to me because why should it make sense to me if his knowledge is so far above my own? That'd be kind of weird if I was always on the same page with understanding God. I don't know the way he does. Second thing we can look at to remember is when, when his ways don't make sense to us is that his track record speaks for itself. He has proven himself trustworthy. So no doubt in your life, there's things that you can uh, see now, maybe in hindsight, of how God was working that made no sense at the time, but with a little distance, it kind of became clear what he was up to. Hopefully you have experiences like that. I have several of them in my own life. It doesn't mean it was an easy time. It doesn't mean it was fun, but hopefully, in hindsight, you can see, hey, now I can see how he was working for his glory and my good, even though it didn't make sense in the moment from my human perspective. So hopefully in our lives, but certainly in scripture when we read, we can see all kinds of examples where things didn't make sense to God's people in the moment, but afterwards they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool how that all came together. And we have the benefit of being many thousands of years removed to see that in a different way, right? It's all kinds of things. Uh, The promises God makes to Abraham seem laughable to Sarah at first until it makes sense when God brings his promises to pass, right? The idea that Moses would lead the people up out of uh, oppression in Egypt didn't seem to make sense until God brought it to pass. Uh, The idea that God would bring his people back from exile exactly like he said through the words of a pagan king doesn't seem to make sense until he brings it to pass. The, the fact that the greatest missionary of all time was once a hater of Christians doesn't seem to make sense, and yet God's ways are above our ways. And far and away, there is no better example in scripture of something that is unexpected and doesn't seem to make sense to us, at least, than the cross. Think about that. Brandon uh, talked about this last week, how this was not what people were expecting the Messiah to be like. How is the Messiah more like the Isaiah 53 suffering servant Messiah than this mighty king who might overthrow the Romans that they were thinking would be a better way? How could this Messiah be fully God and fully man, fully God and experience all the humble (laughs) experience of humanity? That doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't make sense uh, or seem to that this perfect Messiah who's never sinned would die a sinner's death, maybe the most humiliating, torturous death ever uh, thought of by man for guilty people, for sinners like me. That doesn't seem to make sense. And yet this is what God has brought to pass. It sure didn't seem to make sense to his disciples on Easter Saturday when their, their teacher is on the cross dead and now they're trying to make sense of life, but it began to make a little more sense to them the next day on Sunday. And for us, maybe 2,000 years later, it, it seems like a little more, it makes sense. But I would argue that even with the time distance, it still doesn't really make sense to us until God does a special work to open our eyes to why this is the greatest way. Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't know Jesus, this does not make sense but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I want you to look back to uh, our text in Isaiah 55. Verse six and seven are some beautiful, beautiful verses. It says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man, that's us, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then we get into his ways are above our ways. Even that he would offer us that abundant pardon does not compute from our perspective, and yet this all has been fulfilled to us in Christ predicted 700 years later and then perfectly fulfilled in Christ on the cross that Jesus would come and live a perfect life that I could never live and die the death that I should have died and not stay dead but rise again all so that we could experience those blessings that are listed in those two verses. Abundant pardon, compassion from God, relationship with him. And if you're here and that has never made sense to you or maybe you've never even heard it before, this is by far (laughs) the most important thing that we could be talking about is that this is what's on offer to you through Christ. We are all unrighteous. The Bible makes that very clear. And it says, though, that if we will forsake our way, turn from our sin, and put our faith in him, we can have abundant pardon. We can have right relationship with God, through what Jesus has done. If you've never heard that before and, and something is going off, man, my prayer is that God would open your eyes to reveal why that does make sense for you in the most beautiful way maybe you've never considered before. We'd love to chat about it. I urge you to consider it. So some things make sense with hindsight, at least in part. Sometimes though, no matter how long it's been, certain things just don't seem to ever make sense. And I wanna show you an example in scripture that is a story I find quite fascinating. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's in Acts chapter 12. It'll be on the screen for you so we can stay in Isaiah, but um, this, is, this is one that's tough to understand, man. So let's read it together. Acts 12 verse one, uh, during the beginning of the early church, it says, that about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out also to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That might not seem like a crazy thing. It's kind of mentioned in passing in one verse. But James is killed. It says it very simply, James is put to death by Herod. That's a really big deal. It's a really big deal because James is one of the 12 apostles. He's in fact the first disciple to be martyred for the faith. And not only is he part of the 12, he's one of the three, Peter, James, and John, right? The inner, kind of inner circle, the people that spent more time with Jesus than anyone. They had information and experiences that the others didn't. And he just dies, he gets the sword. That's a big deal, especially at the beginning of the church, uh, but it gets crazier. In verse six, we read, now when Herod was about to bring Peter out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. That's kind of a, a crazy thing in and of itself there, but he's sleeping between two soldiers on death row, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, "Get up quickly." And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, "Dress yourself and put on your sandals." And he did so. This is an amazing miracle, right? This is a crazy story. It's huge, but it's very curious to me and you probably see it too. James, one of the three, gets the sword. Peter, one of the three, gets this angelic incredible rescue. Just a few, maybe a few days afterwards. We're not sure how long, but certainly pretty close. What is the deal with that? That doesn't seem to make sense. Why would James be killed and Peter rescued? Why wouldn't God have rescued them both? It doesn't seem clear to us. Now, some people would say this, this martyrdom um, helped stoke the fire of the early church with passion to be willing to die for Christ, to, to spread out in persecution and, and fulfill the Great Commission and all these things. And I'm sure there's truth to that, but we don't really get a concrete answer to make sense of why he wouldn't have just done this for James as well. We don't really see that. And yet we can trust God's ways because they're higher and because we do have in scripture tons of examples where what he has done in hindsight has been made clear, has been uh, shown to make sense. And hopefully in our life, we have examples that have shown where God's ways at first didn't make sense and then they did later. That enables us to trust him in the ones that don't seem to. Because some things will not be making sense for us on this side of eternity. And we have to be okay with that. Not an easy thing, though. But we can remember our guide is trustworthy, and he's proven it over and over again that his ways are better than mine, even if they don't always make sense on this side of eternity. And the wonderful thing is, we don't have to just hope that God's better ways come to pass. I think my plans are great. I have no way to ensure that my plans are Uh, come to pass. I just don't have that ability. God says he does. And there's an amazing uh, section of verses here in our text. Verse 10 and 11 says, "'For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty.'" It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Which means he will accomplish his plans. His ways will come to pass. He will lead us where he is supposed to lead us. He has the power to make sure that happens. He never has to eat his words. You ever made promises or told someone, hey, I know the way, and then had to kind of walk that back in embarrassment? God does not have that problem ever. And lastly, even when God's ways don't make sense, we can trust him because he knows where he's going, where he's leading us, and it is exceedingly good. It's exceedingly good. And in our text, we get a sneak peek at exactly where things are headed in verse 12 and 13. It says this, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is pretty cool. This is a picture, description of joy and peace ruling on earth among God's people. It says like old, dry, barren land, scratchy, thorny plants like briars uh, and thorns will, will pass away and new life will emerge. Lush trees and, and myrtles, uh, and it props to you if you know what a myrtle is, but they're a flower bearing uh, plant, like beautiful life where there was only death. This is what's pictured. And in a sense, uh, obviously he says everlasting, but in a sense, this happens for us as believers uh, when we accept the promises, when we receive what verse six and seven is talking about, the abundant pardon that is on offer for, for us when we come to Christ. New life, man, We are we're not just cleaned up a bit. We're moved from death to life, from briars and thorns, to the flowers and the, the lush life, right? This is what's happening now in us, but also more completely one day in eternity. The trees are not clapping their hands yet, as you may notice, but that's what's pictured one day, even more perfect, a world restored to how it was designed to be, which is perfect. Every sad thing comes untrue, every wrong is made right, every tear is dried joy and peace reign among God's people and we will be living with him forever for those who know Jesus. This is where he's leading us and it's really, really good. And so between then and now, a lot of things might not make sense, but we can trust him because we know where he's leading us and it is exceedingly good. The question then is this, this idea, this decision, will I actually trust him? And we use that word a lot in church, but man, when we're actually forced to practice it, it is incredibly difficult to trust him. It's really, really hard. Um, My daughter Everly was going through a tough thing earlier in the school year uh, for a couple of weeks, and she was just so stressed out. She was really struggling, um, and mom and dad obviously are trying to speak into this and say, you know, it's going to be okay, and, and it's not that big a deal, and like God's with you, and, and we're here, and try to coach her through it. And she would have none of it. <laughs> Maybe you've had that experience with your kid—just nothing getting through. And as a parent, that can be kind of frustrating to keep trying so much to help your child, and they just—they won't listen. They won't trust what you're saying. And eventually, you kind of had a, a parenting moment—not a, not a breakdown, but a moment of kind of getting down on her level and saying, like, why will you not just trust me? Like, I'm your dad. Why will you not trust God? I said that, and then I felt, like, this burning kind of conviction of, wow, like, how many times does God look at me and say that to me? Why will you not just trust me? It's really hard. It's really hard to do. I've been quite blessed by a song lately um, and part of the song quotes this exact text and talks about how God's ways are, are not like our ways and it gives all kinds of examples in the song of people, God's people, and when they haven't really understood what he's been up to, when he hasn't seemed to make sense. And it says that God won't call where he won't lead. And that's a, that's a cool thing. God has always only called his people to follow him where he is leading us. He Scripture always talks about how God goes before his people. And that's encouraging because that means in this new year, there's nothing there to surprise him. He goes before us and anything he's calling you into, whether it's exciting and life-giving and new opportunities or whether it's really hard and really tough and sad and tiring, whatever it might be, he goes before you and would never call you into it without leading you there. He goes before us. And so this year, may we be people, when things don't make sense of how God is working, may we be people that would remember he knows more than me, that he's proven himself faithful in my life and all through history, and that he knows where he's going and where he's leading us is exceedingly good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for um, your word, for the fact that we can read and and be reminded, because we do need reminded all the time that you know more than we do. You don't need our insight or opinion or plans. Your ways are so far above our own, we can't even understand it, God. and yet, the way that you work um, for your glory and our good often doesn't make sense to us, and that should be no surprise, but it is hard. And so I pray that you'd help us um, by the power of your spirit to trust you when it doesn't make sense, um, to lean on you, that we would believe that you only lead us where you're calling. Uh, your only calling, sorry, where you lead us in this new year, Lord, and that you go before us. You're worthy of our trust. Uh, Thank you for your son. Thank you uh, that this perfect plan has come to pass, and when you open our eyes, it makes the most, more sense than anything on this earth, Lord, and I pray that today we'd be reminded of that if we know you, and for those who don't, that you would bring back the veil and reveal to them how this makes perfect sense, that they need you as a savior, and that there's this beautiful offer to walk with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.